You are listening to Enlight, the podcast for education, leadership, and innovative teaching. Our episode today centers around the evolving landscape of higher education and the need for flexibility and accessibility in learning opportunities for students. Our guest today shares his insights on how universities can differentiate themselves and bring value to their regions by embracing diversity in education and preparing for the challenges that come with it. He also discusses the potential of technology in minimizing barriers between individuals, instructors, and learners while cautioning us against its misuse. Our conversation highlights the importance of developing 21st century skills through exposure and experience, and not just instruction. We explore how universities can adapt or adopt a more agile and versatile approach to curriculum design, introducing individual courses rather than entire programs to allow for easier adjustments as societal needs change. We're happy for you to join us in this fascinating conversation on the changing trends in university education, the value of problem solving, leadership, and critical thinking skills in the job market, and how universities can help students identify the career paths. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Enlight podcast. Today, we have the privilege of having our guest, Professor King Chow. Professor King Chow is well known within the university. He's had many hats here at the university. He's been involved in a lot of our endeavors. Um, he is the acting dean of students, professor in the Division for Life Science, Department for Chemical and Biological Engineering, and the Division for Public Policy. He's also the director for the Center for the Development of the Gifted and Talented. Professor King Chow has served on other roles, such as serving as the academic director in the past for the Common Core program and also the interdisciplinary program office. And you've had a lot of experience in experimenting in innovative technology, such as MOOCs and yep. so on. Well, welcome to our podcast. All right. Uh, I'm, I'm honored to be here. Yeah, very happy to have you here. Today, I'd like to talk a lot about pedagogies and innovative approaches to teaching and learning, but more specifically with the theme about flexibility and accessibility mm-hmm. and learning opportunities for students. And I think you can help inform a lot of people in this area. How do you see the landscape of higher education changing in the future? And how can HKUST adapt to meet uh, the involving needs of students and society? Well, if you look at the development of the higher education, uh, I can see that over the world. I think that we are moving towards more conformity that I think all universities, they chase after some common benchmarking, for example, in the ranking. And so along with that, uh, I think that is dictated by a lot of the ranking agencies about what to be measured, for example, internationalization, the faculty-student ratio, the funding, or the lot of transfer and that kind of thing. So therefore, they use that to do a measurement. So therefore, a lot of the higher education institutions being reshaped hmm. to reorient themselves in the position as well as the reallocation of the resources. I think that's how I see it's going. Now, certainly, if HKUST is going to compete along that arena, I would say that the, the competition is going to be fierce. But then I believe that in order for HKUST to really establish ourselves as a higher education uh, institution, then we really need to define clearly what our position is. Are we uh, all chasing after the same measurement, the same goal? Or we have a very unique position here in Hong Kong or maybe in Greater Bay Area or in Asia? Uh, what kind of value we can bring to this region. I think that we need to like think carefully about that. I think that that's important. Okay. If you were given a wish list, then this, what, what value would you like to add? 
it may not be something that uh, essentially shared by all my colleagues, mm. but I believe that is deep in their heart. I think they all think about that. I always see a university as an educational institution from the very beginning of it, right? So therefore, the value of an educational institution is that to enlighten students, to open up their mind, to allow them to develop their potential. I think that's really the ultimate goal. Well, whether that potential eventually would benefit the society, it varies from institution to institutions. But then we need to be focused and highlight area which we can do well so that the society will benefit from it. And so in a way, we need to differentiate ourselves from some other sister institutions, uh, our own strength and their strength. And maybe we can improve on certain aspects, but not necessarily trying to be as comprehensive to cover all ground. I think that that's the way that I look at uh, how institutions should position themselves. You mentioned earlier internationalization of education in that sense uh, earlier as well. University, we're we're getting more diverse in, in students that are coming in. Are we ready for this diversity? I think in principle that we are, but are we ready for it? I have to say that we still have a long road to go. I can see that uh, certainly actually by recruitment, we are having students from a very diverse background coming in. But then right now, diversity is mostly measured by the ethnicity, mm-hmm. uh, what nationality they're coming from. Yeah. But then diversity also reflects on, for example, gender, age group, as well as the cultural background, religious background. We haven't really done enough on that ground. Uh, and I believe that a really diverse background is important for our student to get the kind of exposure. Because after all, I believe that, um, uh, you believe it or not, uh, the, the world is flat in a way, that uh, actually we have all these open communications with all the other people around the world. Mm. And without that kind of like diverse exposure, that we are kind of limiting ourselves. And so that would basically set the ceiling that how far you can go. Yeah. And I'm also thinking about the diversity of learning needs as well in relation to all of this, right, as well. Uh, You're absolutely right about that. Before we started this interview, we briefly talked about AI and chat GPT. I don't think anyone is fully aware of the impact that it's going to have on education. And we don't really know at the moment, but it is a powerful technology. But one of the things that some people are talking about is the possibility that it can help identify and uh, cater learning for a diverse set of students, but mm-hmm. also help prepare them for a changing world. So, mm-hmm. it, for example, you mentioned the AI now, there's a worry that it could uh, encourage cheating, for example. Mm-hmm. Well, would that mean that maybe we need to refocus on what we're teaching? As you mentioned just now, yeah, yeah. That we've always been a part of adding to the education of students and their, their journey and learning. Maybe we need to rethink this a little bit more and focus on skills like problem solving, creativity and and, and critical thinking in that sense, because they could easily compose a a paper or some sort of report with the uh, AI. Some idea. Yeah, some idea. Exactly. So we have this opportunity to address diversity, cater to a diversity, prepare them for new skills. Mm -hmm. In your mind, I mean, I know this is very new. This isn't mm-hmm. something that I, I think all of us need to learn. But what do you think? What direction should we be taking? Well, certainly, I think that where the ChatGPT, I think that it helps a lot in terms of the complication. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's tremendously, particularly, I think that for, for example, for Hong Kong, for a lot of our local students, actually, uh, English is not their mother tongue. So it helps a lot in, in that sense. 
on the other hand, what it means is that, uh, in fact, there are quite a bit of other technology. For example, there's a simultaneous translation apps that allows people to simply, like, uh, you can speak one language, actually, they can immediately translate it into another language. Yes. Uh, right now, I think that is, can they do it in a very short time lag that they, they would be able to do that? And people are already practicing using them in, in conferences. Absolutely. I use right. it when I go to men- restaurants and I have right. to read menus. Right. Yes. Right. So, so therefore, actually, these are the technology we can use. And so basically, it would break down the language barrier. But on the other hand, I think that uh, we, when we are talking about education, we are trying to um, give students or all the learners the opportunity to really explore uh, their own thoughts mm-hmm. in a very unique integration of all, all the experience and then make it something useful for them. I think that is something unique, not necessarily that just the AI uh, system would allow us to do. Mm-hmm. So in a way, I can see that this ChatGPT can be used as a tool. It minimizes the kind of barrier um, between individuals, the instructor and the learners. But on the other hand, it's just that we need to like get guard off um, all the misuse of it. I think that that's the, the major thing. And I, I'm not seeing it as necessary anything negative. Right. All right. But we need to be mindful. Uh, I think it's, it applies to all technologies. In exactly. Things, right? Yeah. It's a complex situation. It's not right. black or right. Right. True. But True. Uh, you're, you're right. We need to be mindful. But I think there's a lot of potential. And some of what you're talking about is related to 21st century skills. And a lot of organizations are talking about the need for developing organ, uh, these 21st century skills. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering, in your experience, what are the most effective ways uh, to help university students develop their 21st century skills? I think that right now, a lot of time we talk about uh, in education about um, developing uh, students' competency. Mm-hmm. We highlight a few areas, for example, numerical literacy, data literacy, communication skill, critical thinking. We, we all highlight that, maybe developing some sort of like resilience. I think for the past couple of years, actually, people talk about that a lot. I think these are essential, but then it is not really something I see that is, can be done instructional. Hmm. It is really through experience and through exposure. And in fact, I believe that it's not an issue only happening in the university, but it also happened in high school or even primary school. In fact, all this skill that actually we treasure so much, in fact, they develop at a very early stage based on the exposure, uh, the experience. And they learn along the way and they know which one works and which one doesn't. And from that process, they integrate and then they develop a very unique combination for every single individual. One other element that I, I hope that when we talk about diversity that uh, we need to focus on is that we need to believe in all students. Actually, the talents are different mm-hmm. so that we cannot simply highlight, well, critical thinking, you score 9 out of 10. And then the miracle literacy, you score 8 out of 10. We, it's not like a setting standard like that. There are people who are really excellent in communication, in language. They may all screw up in some other area. But it doesn't mean that they have no contribution. In a way, actually, we should value them as much as the other. Because that's the beauty of the diversity of our society. That's also the humankind. I agree with you 100% on that. I mean, it, it's a lot more dynamic and fluid than, right, than right. what sometimes education gives credit to, right, right? right? Coming back to the whole AI aspect, artificial intelligence, I'm reading a book right now, and the very first chapter spends a lot of time about talking about, well, how do you define intelligence? Right. And even before we start talking about AI, we need to really define what you mean by intelligence. Right. And you can't just define it with one thing. It's, right. it's very fluid. It's very di- right. Right. dynamic. Right. And it's similar to what you're saying in this sense, sure. right? True. We need to think about True. this when it comes to diversity. Right. right. I think that sometimes that's what I said is that 
well, you can be an excellent student in mathematics, but then actually maybe I put you in the stadium, you'll find that actually it's a poor athlete. Yeah. And so in that case, should we honor you as an uh, excellent mathematician or we should also honor another student who's an excellent athlete? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So part of what you're talking about is experience is important. And, and in some ways, I mean, this is my personal view, I feel that university should be part of students' experience mm-hmm. uh, in, in how they develop these skills, right? right? We should be able to facilitate their experience right. and develop an environment where they can reflect and build right. upon right. it based on their needs. But sometimes curricula gets in the way, mm-hmm. right? And, and I'm just wondering, how can HKUST ensure that its curricula is aligned with the needs and expectations of a modern job market? I think that is a very pragmatic issue that we need to deal with. Um, we're constantly thinking about universities preparing our students to go out to land on a job, probably with good salary. Yeah. I think that's also another criteria that yes. we define. Yes. But on the other hand, we can easily be guided by the trend of actually how the job market moves in one direction or the other. If you recall that two decades ago, when the IT bubble uh, burst, mm. very few students want to study computer science. Yes. Right. And then, well, 10 years later, and suddenly people change, and then they, they focus on some other area. And you may recall that at one point, actually, we talked about a lot about the nanotechnology. And for a while, that, uh, it, that. So it fades out uh, a bit. So I think these are trends. These trends come and go. But then I think the need of people to work in a community, in a society, I think is always there. Mm-hmm. So in order to get students ready for that, I think that we need to make our students very adaptive. Adaptive is really the way to go. Adaptive doesn't mean that you need to be an expert in all area, but you need to be able to understand and appreciate differences. And at the same time, identify which area that you can do well, and you constantly polish that area. It may not be useful right at that moment when you graduate, but then you never know. Five years later, you'll be uh, feel this sought after uh, by some emerging area, yeah. right? I think that that's the, the way to go. And so it depends on whether we look at it as a very short-sighted way that we simply want to produce graduate who immediately can identify jobs mm. that get them employed, or we're looking, talking about generating a batches and batches of individuals who would be able to contribute to society down the road in the career. So in, in a way, along that line, I constantly encourage that all institutions, if they can, they should track their graduates over their career lifespan mm-hmm. for 10, 20, 30 years to see how they go. And you may find that some of the things actually learn in the university, for example, Common Core, yeah. in fact, can benefit them a lot um, down the road, maybe 10 or 20 years later, not necessarily right at the very beginning, yeah. right? But then um, these are still essential things that we should introduce in, in the university. If you enjoyed this podcast, subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Enlight is on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Amazon Music, Stitcher, and many more. Now, let's get back to the conversation between Dr. McMinn and Professor Chow. As we delve deeper into the 21st century, the world has become more interconnected than ever before. With the help of technology, communication barriers that once hindered us from understanding one another are now becoming less of an issue. However, we must be mindful of the misuse of technology. That being said, there's a lot of potential in using technology as a tool to minimize barriers between individuals, instructors, and learners. 
This potential could help us develop the essential 21st century skills that organizations are currently advocating for. Professor Chow believes that these skills cannot be taught through instruction, but rather through exposure and experience. We now discuss the importance of looking beyond immediate job prospects when considering the value of a university education. Professor Chow argues that although some skills might not be immediately useful upon graduation, they could be beneficial in the long run. I think for you and me, this makes a lot of sense. Do you think students get this when they're in university? Do they understand that like the Common Core, for example, right. very useful, right. could help diversify their skill set, mm-hmm. as you said, prepare them not just for getting a job immediately after graduation, but down the road, mm-hmm. uh, adaptive leadership uh, skills, uh, problem-solving skills, and right. that sort of thing, right. transferable uh, throughout their career. How can we help encourage students to see that, that this is a transferable experience uh, that will benefit them in years to come? Um, I think that right now we can keep on talking about it. But then as I see, um, education, I don't see that as simply as the job of a university. Mm. It is really a job that along the way when the, um, the kids grow up, right? There's a very heavy influence by family, mm-hmm. family value. Yeah. Whether they are short-sighted, they want immediate result, or they want to have long-term result. From the primary school, um, so you can say the primary school, they always try to channel that student to the good secondary school. And second school, they would say they would channel the student to good uh, university. Yes. So, so in a way, we are really conforming to a single dimension: how to measure so-called productive educational experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, yet we are ignoring that actually all the students actually they have a very diverse need, uh, ability, as well as aspiration, and so we need to recognize that. So in terms of university, if you talk about preparing students for immediate need, certainly I think that we can introduce programs. Uh, so we do have that kind of programs, right? So for example, for the past couple of years, multiple institutions, they introduced all this AI component, data science component, because that's the trend. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether this program would stay 10 years or 15 years later, right. right? But on the other hand, I think an even more versatile approach is not really to introduce the program, but introduce courses. Because when you want to structure a program, a program usually need to have a multiple component added in on top of it. But if you introduce course, the hurdle is much lower. Mm. Uh, so that, well, if I see that there's something which is coming, instead of like a planned entire program, can I introduce one course here, one course there, with a lot of adjustment along the way? In, in a way, I think curriculum is not something which is fixed yeah. uh, for decades. They need to be constantly evolving. So if you allow that evolution process to take place at the level of course or adjustment of the course content, then actually we are much more agile and more versatile in, in handling the kind of changes of the society. And I think that's how a university should do. And in a way, I see that, for example, in the past couple of years or past decades or so, when this MOOC operation came out, it offered that flexibility mm-hmm. because you make a lot of the knowledge component, skill component, or even some of them, what domain knowledge, become modular. Nobody knows whether they are important or not important. Uh, but on the other hand, because the introduction of them is much easier and they can spread more widely, so you would be able to use them in combinations to reconstruct your own curriculum that fit the need. And I think that is really the beauty of the education is supposed to be. 
it would be a lot more flexible if we can do that. And you kind of reminded me of the whole concept of micro-credentials right. in that sense, right? right? It's something that hasn't really taken off in Asia. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only area that I could think of in Asia that it has taken off is perhaps Singapore, mm-hmm. right? Where they've really started to explore micro-credentials, but nowhere else. But whereas in Europe and North America, they've mm-hmm. really started to explore micro-credentials. And, right. and, and it's somewhat related to what you're talking about for this very purpose is to make the curriculum more flexible so that students can pick and choose what they think they need. And then they they build these micro-credentials in order to graduate. Do you see this as a possibility? I think that's a possibility, but that it it also needs to have the community, the society to buy in. I think it's largely, it's the cultural. I think that whether the, the society, the corporations, the employers, whether they buy in that idea. And in fact, if you ask me about the micro credential, it's still structured. To some extent, because actually the micro credential actually they have a number of modules that add together that they make that make that uh, micro credential. What in my mind about this module is actually you don't need to have the micro credential. Mm. You just have these modules. If they need it, they take it. Right? Can they skip one or two? Fine, it's okay. Because actually the way that I look at it is that I think that we talk to a lot of employers, right? The employers constantly tell us, well, a lot of things actually the students need to learn. In fact, if they have the skill set, they can learn it fast. They can learn it on the job, right? They just pick it up. But what they're looking at is really whether these individuals, they are willing to pick up and whether they know what they want. Mm. I think that's really the key. And if they clearly identify what they want to do, in fact, I believe that most of our students, in fact, they can do it. Yes. And in fact, we have seen that kind of example. We've seen our students uh, who start off as like an engineer and turn out that they're being like an accountant now. And then we have students who are students accounting and now doing robotics. Yes. Well, so uh, why do we need to like craft them into a certain way with discipline, defining actually what that major is, right? Yeah, no, that's a really good point um, because they will change careers. A lot, right, many right. people change careers, right? right? right. Uh, in that sense. So um, why not make the, the university experience right. an experience that allows them to right. understand right. that change is possible and they just pick right. what they want. Right. Yeah. And, and in a way, I think uh, for you and me, who are like an old enough, actually we'll say, well, when we look for a job, did they ask us which primary school do we go to? <laughs> no, right? They didn't even ask which university you graduate from, right? right? And what they do is that, what have you done in the past decade? Correct. And it's that accumulated experience that count for your credential. Yes. And so if that's the case, then we want every single student, if possible, they build up their own portfolio. And that portfolio define who they are and what they're good at. And this is making them more marketable mm-hmm. in the, the job place. Yeah. Uh, now, on this topic, have you seen any examples of where students have benefited from something like this? For example, from other universities or other countries around the world where they've actually been able to choose their own learning pathway and tailor their education? Yes, we do. I think that, um, like, for example, even in, in USD, actually, we do have this uh, IAM program, the Individualized right. Institute Major. Yep. Uh, although I think the, the number of students is still like uh, only a handful uh, every year or so. Um, the question is the following. How many students at the age of like 17, 18, they have a clear mind actually what they want to do? Not many. And if they want, then I, I look at it as that, well, as a university, we have like 10,000, 15,000 students. Actually, we can certainly support like 10, 15 students like that. Uh, I think that's my perspective. But having this kind of program, in fact, has also happened in a lot of American universities. Not so much in Asia. Mm. In Europe, I know that, like, for example, Lufana, actually, um, they are starting having it in Europe. Um, so it is getting some attention, although actually it's not really that popular. But I noticed that in U- US, particularly, I think 
in the system. Actually, they are not really defining their major so tightly as actually the Asian culture. This kind of flexibility become more viable. And you see students actually, they constantly switch major from one to the other in the first year to second year to third year. And at the end, actually, they combine different courses as long as they fulfill the certain requirement of the credit and therefore they graduate and they can give them a degree. And so maybe the degree is not really well defined that way. Mm-hmm. Some university will allow them to make their own major, uh, I think as we did. At the end, these individuals, when they go out to the workplace, they are really demonstrating their ability by their experience, not by the major. Mm-hmm. And in fact, again, it's the culture. Where the employers see that major is important. And I witnessed that, I think over the past decade or so, when we talked to the employers, almost 95% of them actually, they don't care what their major is. How to make that convincing for our students and their parents is still an issue. Um, And I I believe that actually we need to work harder on that. And so therefore, actually, right now, we constantly invite the employers to bridge that to the students and hope that actually it may be more convincing than the, the instructors telling them that. Do you see more than of a need for partnerships with employers to get that message across to family members? I think so. Yeah. I think so. And in fact, I think these employers, I think I, I don't want to quote the term schizophrenic. They believe in it. Yeah. But sometimes when they go back home, they, 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 they don't, don't act that way. They don't act that way. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, uh, we, we, we all have that problem in different areas. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Um, but but it's an interesting point. I mean, for very small projects that I've worked on in the past, when I was in language education, I, I interviewed a few different employers and I asked them, what skill sets are you looking for in uh, in students and graduates? Right. And I, I interviewed uh, lawyers at family firms, directors of small startup companies. Right. and right. So these are all professionals. And uh, their responses were often very common. They said, we want problem solving skills. We want leadership. Right. We want critical thinking, Thing. they never mentioned, well, we want someone who had high grades and GPA right, in, in, right. in chemical engineering or anything like that. Yes, that's important. But uh, what's more important and what they found that they were always dissatisfied with graduates is that they were unable to communicate effectively in the, right, in the, right, in the workplace. Right, right. And they were unable to problem solve right. or think creatively. Right. Now, my pool of people that I asked is a very small, but I suspect that this is a common thing. It's a common thing. In, yeah. in fact, all, almost as I said, 95% of the employers, they would say that these are the important elements. Yeah. And also, I think that one more factor that add into it is that there's the attitude, mm. what they see themselves, how they value themselves as a productive individual who can make mm. contribution. And sometimes I think that for a lot of our graduates, right after from the university education Many of them, they're still like wondering uh, where they want to go, what they want to do, and they're kind of lost at that point. Uh, And so helping them, I think, at the university to find that path is important. And somehow, as I said, the very diverse exposure for them to experience different things essentially is the most valuable thing that they they can encounter because failure of that actually really doesn't cost them too much. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, through the process, they can identify which area, in fact, they would be able to contribute more. They enjoy doing more. And as we said, as they are enjoying doing something, they would do it well. Yes. So ask the kids when they are playing all the computer games, right? So they rather stay all night without sleeping. They want to score a little bit higher. But you ask them to like memorize a certain formula, so actually they will fall asleep right away. Yeah. Funny, I had that conversation with a colleague while waiting for the bus this morning about video games. And I said... Right. I would love to stay up all night playing video games, <laughs> but I would never get any work done. Um, 
we're talking a lot about students. We're talking a little bit about society. I mean, it's a very complex situation. And, 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 and we do have that issue of informing families and parents and that of the need and then also working with employers. But what about the faculty side of things? How do we inform faculty a little bit more to help them rethink or change their mindset on mm-hmm. how they develop courses? So it aligns to this vision, what we're talking about. Well, in a way, I think that uh, it needs to start off uh, from the very beginning when the faculty are hired. Mm-hmm. Um, so we need to tell them actually what the university's goal or um, the objective of this institutions, or the identity of it, mm-hmm. uh, what it's really about. It really would frame the entire platform for them, how they can develop the course. Because as you said, many of these um, faculty, when they come in, actually they are well-trained in a certain area. They are the domain expertise. When they come in, usually I think the most comfortable thing is that actually they would disseminate whatever course uh, which is along their own expertise. And that's the most easiest way. I think that uh, we find the easy way out. And so slot them into a particular department with a certain course. They feel comfortable teaching. Of course, easy um, that they go right into it. But on the other hand, if you tell them, well, what do you see is the most important part for your education? They may say that actually the, the heaviest influence is probably not from a particular course. Maybe a particular book they read. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe a particular mentor they met. That inspired them. They changed the entire career path. Yeah. Are we offering that? So if they recognize that actually they themselves benefit from that process. And if you're coming to the institution and you want to use that to benefit the next generation, would you be able to put more effort on that? Mm-hmm. I think that would be something that we should push for. And the same thing is that a lot of us, actually, we are where we are today is largely because of certain activity we participated in the past. And so are we providing that kind of experience for the students? So we add those in. Now, unfortunately, I think that in the university system, actually, we do have a lot of this QAC, quality assurance. We have accreditations. Yeah. They would say, well, if you're in a particular profession, you need to learn A, B, C, D. And so therefore we define all this. I think I'm not saying that those are not important, but that's only one aspect of university education. We should recognize the importance of them and put certain weight on them. But on the other hand, we should not allow them to expand, to squeeze out all the other activity. And in a way, I think that I see that university education today uh, in Asia or in Hong Kong, I think that we put this academic performance to be a too big a task that is squeezed out a lot of the other elements. And so in a way, it suffocates a bit about our students' development in long term. Yeah, I recognize that problem. And, and I don't think right. there's an, any quick fix to this. But a so, so in a way, is... I think from the university, senior management, leaderships, but if we highlight enough about that yeah. and start from the very beginning, and in fact, we can even encourage faculty to branch out into all this area instead of simply focusing on one area. Yes. Maybe one aspect actually we can focus on is like um, including our examination and assessment, the grades, right? So uh, I was talking to colleagues this morning is that, well, right now we are giving students letter grade. So we're trying to differentiate, right? So differentiation has its own merit by itself. But then I was asking, well, is a B student better than a B minus student? Mm. And I think for all of us who are working, we know that actually there's no correlation whatsoever. No. And sometimes you can even say a A student is not necessarily better than a B student. I would even take it a step further. Does a B student mean that they won't succeed in their career in the future? True, right? Because actually they may succeed in some other area, not exactly. necessarily assess in the same domain, right? 
So, so in a way, we are too hung up by all this grace. So, can we change our courses into pass and fail? So that means actually, if they only reach a certain level of competency, pass, yeah. done. And then um, I, I was like a in this chat with my colleagues, I was suggesting about. Maybe in a lot of our evaluation, we should not rank students in certain way. Once they pass this competency level, they pass. Everything is random. Mm -hmm. But then, of course, then the people say, "Well, that's not fair because I perform better than the other. I do not get paid." But but on the other hand, I think the world is like that. Again, I think this is something that I, you and I probably are aligned a lot on. But it's something that's very difficult to to, to convince True. people. Uh, but it comes back to a question. Uh, that I was thinking about earlier, and it's related to ChatGPT and the whole concept that it's easy to cheat and produce things, and it can convincingly help you with ideas, right? It, it's brought up to my, a question in my mind is, well, why are we assessing students? And what's the purpose of an assessment, mm -hmm. right? If it's just to give them a grade, and it's just a purely for um, summative purposes, where to give them a grade and prove that they've acquired this knowledge, right. it's almost meaningless. It's not preparing them for anything. True. So we really need to rethink assessment designs, right. not just the grades, but assessments right, right. as well. Yeah. And, and I have to say that assessment, a lot of the time, actually, is a learning process. Mm -hmm. uh, we are practicing it uh, in, in some other assessment regime. Like, for example, when we are running some of these high school activities or so, actually, we do test. But we say that, well, whatever is covered in, in the test, it's not something which is covered in the curriculum. Mm -hmm. So people come in, we are providing you information, and you do the analysis. And we are analyzing a whole new scenario, and so that you need to practice and put in whatever you have learned in the past into the application. Um, the funny thing, I think we've done it for the past couple of years, and the students' feedback is very positive. They said, well, I didn't know that actually I can go to exam, and I learned so much more than I... I learned in the class. Interesting. And, then, and suddenly, yeah. actually, I find that I'm more interested in this subject. And so I went back and I dig into um, the, the web and then find information. And I find that actually I, I lost interest in the past simply because of my teacher. He's focusing on actually what he taught in the class yeah. and examined me on that topic. But right now, I notice that what he taught is so little. And I, I have a whole new world in front of me. So having that, in fact, we are open up students' mind. Yeah, if only that happened more often. Right. Uh, so only when we are willing to start practicing that yeah. by putting this kind of like assessment into our assessment tools or uh, assignments, actually we would be able to do it. But I have to admit that making that kind of like a question or assessment tools, in fact, is a little bit more time consuming. It would be. Yes, it would be. Yes, yes, definitely. I'll wrap this up and ask you uh, one final question. And it's just a, it's a big question. You can answer it any way you want. But if I were to answer any wish that you would have in improving higher education in order to improve flexibility and accessibility to students, mm -hmm. what would be the biggest thing that you would wish for? I think the biggest thing that I wish um, to have, I think, is in an institution like a university, we would try to eliminate the boundary of majors or domain mm. as much as possible. Make the learning as an experience rather than assessment-based, ranking-based, by then, I would say that, uh, first of all, I can see that students would feel less stressful. Second is that like, there are more free room for them to expand their exposure mm -hmm. to different areas. And coupled with the earlier talk about uh, the, the modular structures of all the courses, then we may not be able to define actually what their major is. But then whatever combination of courses they take, that define their major. And then they can use it to tell the employer or the future partners in whatever endeavor 
that actually that's where they carry with them. Yeah. And, and, and that essentially, in a way, is making all the, the workforce practice that normally we have in an aging group, we have experience. That's how it's been practiced in the society. Why are we structuring so concrete major in this early stage? Yeah. And to some way, it's like, well, maybe some basic thing, uh, language, mathematics, these can be common. But then other than that, we should make it very flexible. Yeah. yeah no, I think that's a very worthy vision to have. Right. Thank you very much. Right, uh, sure, sure. I really enjoyed the right. conversation right. and it's been a pleasure having you. All right. Okay, great, great, great to be here. Right. Yeah. Right. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Enlight, brought to you by the Center of Education Innovation of HKUST. We hope you found today's episode insightful and thought-provoking. Enlight is produced by the team at CEI, hosted by Dr. Sean McMinn, graphic design by Ling Wong, sound design by Ken Yu, and a big thank you to our editorial team, Beatrice Chu, Amy Chong, Crystal Luo, and Yui Lam. Thank you again for listening to Enlight, and we look forward to bringing you more engaging conversations in the future.